Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm your host, Diane Gibbs, and I am excited to have Adam Grayson on the show today. We have been trying to, I think, have this for like four years, so I'm so, yes. so, so excited. So Me today's too. today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial if you go to audibletrial.com slash designrecharge. There's over 180 thousand titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. All right. So we're going to get started. I have so many questions and I, what I love is that Adam is so honest and real and, and I, I love his heart and his passion for other people and his faith and how all that kind of wraps into what he does. And so he's, he's going to share some, he's worked for some super huge, big companies and he also has done things that he doesn't even show on his feed, right? Cause things that just pay the bills. And so I think that, um, that was, this episode was called, um, exposure, exposing the freelancer life. Cause I think there's this, um, we think that every, you've got it made and everything's there. You've worked for Google and Disney and, and then we don't think that you have to take any retainer clients that are things that you wouldn't ever share, you know, but we all do things like that. And I think that I kind of want to expose some of those things so that we know, we don't put these like, oh, I'm never going to be like so-and-so. And, -so. and I, I just think it's good for us to kind of uh, open the door. And, and, and I really appreciate you being honest and open. So, yes. Adam, thanks for being here. <laughs> awesome. All right. So we're going to get started with some questions. Yes. I think you, you have a killer story. You're self-taught. Um, mm -hmm. You have worked for yourself for a long time. Can you kind of go back through, because that has a lot of drive and kind of where you get, where you got started and where your love for illustration and design kind of mm -hmm. came to play? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am self-taught. Um, I took one class in high school. Um, I believe it was my junior year too. Um, and it was kind of at that moment that I realized that people actually made art on computers. I don't know what kind of like 16 year old, 17 year old kid didn't know that. Um, but in my brain, the only thing I knew about art was really Disney animation, um, was animators and fine artists and all of that. And I remember I sat in that class, it was graphic design one, and it just kind of like hit me. I was like, Oh my God, like this is actually really, really, really fun. Um, but, I mean, at that point, I was still a kid. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I couldn't get into college. My grades weren't good. I had a scholarship um, that I was going to go to the Art Institute of Atlanta, um, but I lost it because my grades were bad because I was not a good kid when it came to school. Um, but, yeah, my story goes from that to um, one day I was at church, and my um, senior pastor's wife had this computer, and – I had a extremely shady bootleg version of Photoshop that I had uh, gotten from a friend down the block. Uh, and I, that's kind of where I started. I was working as a bad boy um, right out of high school. Uh, and I had this, this really awful HP computer that was like this thick. Um, and I, I would, it was, it was funny. It's funny how you don't realize how passionate you are because you kind of get blinded by like real life for a moment. So I'm like 
going to, you know, work as, as a bag boy and uh, going home, getting off at like 11 o'clock at night and then just making random stuff in Photoshop until like three or four in the morning. Um, and I did that for a while. And then I finally started doing actual work with the church. Um, and I, <laughs> I always say this, but I, I thought I like made it because I learned how to take um, an image in Photoshop and turn it into a brush. So I thought, oh, cool. Like, I'm like a real artist now. Like, I took a leaf and I turned it into a brush. Um, and I just, I worked with the church for a long time. I ended up in Kansas City. Um, and in Kansas City, I had people that really believed in me and they really pushed me and they kind of helped me uh, grow as an artist uh, and start taking it a little more serious. Um, and it has just reached a point where I was getting so many people telling me, how talented I was. And I started getting to that point and that a lot of people experience, whether it's in ministry or whether it's in a full-time job where you just reach that point where you are completely not content anymore. And you realize I have something greater for me. I can stay in my comfort zone and be miserable, or I can take this step. So what I did is I had no experience. Again, I took one class in high school. Um, I, had nothing in Orlando. I moved to Kansas city because of it. I was working for them uh, in Kansas city for two years at this church. And I decided I was just going to give it all away. And I was just going to take a, a leap of faith and uh, jump into a uh, full-time freelance or finding a design job. So, so were you uh, married at this point? Yeah. 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 Okay. I skipped over the marriage point. I got married on my 21st birthday in 2007. Okay, so, because sometimes people are like, hey, I'm single, I can do this, I'm just going to go freelance. So it uh, that wasn't the case, um, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. I'm just kind of trying to paint that clear picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have the most wonderful wife in the world who believes in me far more than I believe in myself. Um, and so she kind of, every time I was like, hey, let's move to Kansas City, she was like, yep. And hey, I'm thinking about leaving the little church stipend that I was getting. And I'm thinking about just winging it and going for it. She's like, cool, do it. Um, so yeah, I had my way. Uh, and so I, I, I decided to leave, um, the comfort of that job. And I had my very first real big boy job interview. Um, which again, like I went from, <laughs> I went from a bad boy to church bulletins basically, um, to actual like job interview. And, uh, like suit job, job interview. Oh yeah. It was, it was going to be a junior design position at a, um, small local television network. Um, and so I, I, I didn't know, oh my God, it was awful. I didn't know what to expect. Again, like that was like the first real job interview I ever had. Um, it went awfully. Um, the guy demanded an art test right then and there, no warning. Um, and he would bark out commands, you know, like type tool, type this, and then drag this, and then throw the photo in. And apparently I was 10 seconds too slow for his liking. Um, and he brought me into his office and said, listen, I'm going to be straight with you. You have no real potential as an artist. You were too slow. You didn't know the software well enough. Uh, I would tell you to go to a, a tool and you would have to go to the top navigation bar to find it. You didn't know the shortcuts. Uh, I just want to let you know that I think you should really explore um, something different. I don't think this is for you. Um, and that, 
obviously that was tough to hear. Um, but to be even more honest, I didn't give a crap what he had to say. I knew what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I knew what I wanted and what I could become. Um, and I knew that a lot of my ambition is always, and I've said this forever. My ambition is to make other people greater than me. If that's target, if that's Dave Clayton, who I owe a tutorial to, I saw that comment. (laughs) Sorry. Um, my goal is everybody that has a chance to see my work, to meet me, to email me, to hire me. I want to make their life so much greater than they even know. So when that guy said that, I was like, you can say what you think. You can say what you believe, but I'm going to prove you wrong with every bit of energy inside my body. So I left that. I called my wife and, um, I told her what he said and we both kind of had a huge laugh about it because uh, we just knew we, we knew that that level of negativity could only be an attempt to inflict fear on my belief of myself. Mm. And I was not willing to believe that I would fail. Um, yeah. And I, I didn't uh, maybe two weeks after during, after I left that, I was still doing like little freelance stuff. So I was, making small amounts of money. But at that point it was like, I was charging $50 for a logo. So then like everybody wanted to hire me for a logo. Um, so I was doing like a hundred logos a week to just make money. Um, but then I had, um, my second big boy interview and it went completely opposite. Uh, I, uh, at that point also, uh, my little brother, uh, had drowned in the pool. Um, that was, I think it's now nine years ago, nine or 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he would have been, Yeah, he would have been 19 this year. Um, So at that point, too, so I left the interview. At that point, I was just a graphic designer. I had no grid for illustration or anything. Um, So my little brother passes away. I took it very, very bad. Um, And I I went from weighing like 150 pounds to 245 pounds in the span of just a few months. eating my emotions. Um, I had ambition at this point still, but I was also not, not in a good place. Um, and I remember sitting there with Christina, my wife, um, and we were watching, um, I think it was, it was either Ratatouille or Incredibles. Just one of those Disney movies that has like an, an Aladdin, we'll just call it Aladdin for this, for the sake, where you have the riffraff street rat who should be nothing but is basically becoming the king um and i just had that moment where i was like you know what like i love illustration watching this movie ministered to my heart so much it for the first time in forever i was laughing and i was smiling um so i decided like i'm I'm gonna try to learn how to do illustration because again at that point i was just a designer doing layouts and and when I said I was doing logos, I basically mean I was going to like gomedia.us and like buying like stock vectors and putting them in Photoshop because I didn't know how to use Illustrator. Um, and I started to really try to become an illustrator. Um, I got a few personal pieces under my belt, maybe four or five of them, all Disney themed because at that point, Disney was the only thing that ministered me out of my sorrow. Um, and it's hard to watch a Disney movie and end it going, man, life sucks. You know, you most of the time you leave that going, wow, like 
I feel enlightened. I feel happy. So I, uh, I had those few pieces and I, uh, had my next big boy interview. Um, and I came in with like my design stuff. And then I had these like little bits of, um, illustration at the end. And it just so happens that the guy that was interviewing me was the, um, owner of the, the studio. And he actually came from Disney animation when it was still in Orlando. Um, so we had an immediate connection. We start just talking and talking. And I'm like, yeah, I'm from Orlando. Like, I loved it. I can't believe they took away the animation thing. And he goes, yeah, me either. And he's like, you know what? He was interviewing tons of people. He's like, you know what? This job is yours. Um, and I got my first design job. Um, I wasn't doing anything necessarily exciting, but for a guy that has come from one class in high school, I was very happy. Uh, I, my role was going to be a contract job, um, at least guaranteed six months. Um, I would have a salary. I would have some um, small part, um, time off for, with pay. Uh, but my role was basically to go through the Rolodex of Hallmark um, and drag and drop different assets. So maybe it's like a saying from 1999 with an illustration from 2004. Um, and I would just do that for, you know, tons of hours. And during that time, I was still freelancing. Um, and that was the first, they were the first real people that saw me as an illustrator, which was a really big deal because illustration was used so highly during that time to help kind of shape me. Um, so that time ended and then I moved um, from them to a studio called Barkley. My very first day there was a contractor. Um, my very first day, um, they laid off an entire floor of people. They, um, the guy that was supposed to be in charge of the international campaign for Krispy Kreme left, packed his stuff, left, didn't say anything, empty office. So day two with them, they tell me, listen, we're, we're kind of short staffed. Um, so we're going to need you to handle the international campaign for Krispy Kreme. Wow. So I went from drag and drop to, I have to design the box. I have to design the stickers. I have to design the billboards that are going to be hung up. And the thing about Krispy Kreme at that time was every market was distinctly, was distinctly different um, design aesthetics. So America was more reserved and I had the Europe and um, Latin America um, focus, which it's a lot more color. It's a lot more vibrant. It's a lot more playful. Um, so I had to learn how to really illustrate and really like hone in that skill. Um, and sure enough, I was able to do it and I didn't get in trouble for anything. And they trusted me with that. So I have a question. So yeah. it sounds like one, you don't let people um, get in your head about who you know you are. And I want right. to know how, as a, cause you were young, um, mm -hmm. how, and sometimes it, I even, I have trouble with that now, even, you know, sometimes, yeah. oh, maybe I am like that. So mm -hmm. how did, how do what is that talk in your head that's like, yep, I can do it. Like somebody mm -hmm. says, hey, you were just going to be a junior level designer. Not today. You're going to, and yeah. instead of like getting in your head and being like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do this. What was it that you were like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I, I can do this. I think, I mean, there's a lot of levels to it, but I think a lot of it, comes to the point where I enjoy the side of being a little bit foolish and um, I'm not afraid to be told I'm not good because that's just motivation for me. Mm. Um, 
to get a little deeper, that was kind of my childhood. I grew up uh, being told by my, my, my mom and my stepdad, um, they believed in me. They always thought I should be a manager of Publix. Um, they didn't really understand the whole art thing. Um, but my now deceased father, um, he was very hard on me and very tough. And so I would get a lot of negativity on one end. And then my mom and my stepdad would flip that and give me lots of positivity. So I, in many ways, I grew up with the struggle inward of being told I'm not good, but then having other people try to fight that belief system in my heart. Um, so I think that just got to the point where I had to get, I had to know that the opinions of other people don't matter as much as how much I believe in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, I think we're all capable of greatness. Mm-hmm. I think we're all capable of doing a gift card for Target. I think we're all capable of being asked to partner with do, making uh, illustrator brushes. I think we're all capable of all the things that I've quote unquote gotten that have inspired people. I think everybody's capable of it. Um, I think it's a I think it's a, 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 a focus on yourself and a belief system of yourself that a lot of people trip up on because um, it is a lot easier to think you suck than yeah. to buy into the, the fact that you're talented. I still, str- I still struggle the other day. I mean, some people know this, that, that have been following me. I've, I've hit a bit of a drought. The second quarter um, has been tough. And part of why, for instance, that I haven't gotten the tutorial done for Dave, Dave um, is I've been in a little, besides like losing my dad, which I, kind of just talked about I've been in a in a weird funk I've had to try to debate between do I keep freelancing full-time do I get a full-time job where do I get a full-time job well I don't want to move to San Francisco I don't want to move to New York so I've had a lot of things going on all at the same time um, that can easily get in your head um, and kind of trip you up and and I mean the thing was two nights ago I woke up at one o'clock fighting those thoughts because yeah, yeah, like I've been late on my car payment. I've been late on my rent. Um, I had my landlord texting me daily for two weeks because I was two weeks late. Like this is reality. You can go from making a mural for Target to having no work for the first quarter of a year. And it doesn't mean that I'm not talented. It doesn't mean that I don't have amazing skills or a lot of potential or uh, the drive to impact people's lives. It's like life just hits you when it hits you. Um, and if we, if, if we can expect to always believe in ourselves, we should expect life to get hard at times, I think. So it's, it's really not thinking that what you're doing is a direct impact. Sometimes, sometimes things just happen and just like going into your second day and they're saying, Hey, you're going to do, it was an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes there are droughts in, in there. And I'm so glad, you know, that it doesn't, it it has nothing to do with your talent. Mm -mm. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it absolutely doesn't. And I, I love that you're willing to share that because I think that it's really hard, you know, when, when we bounce a check or when we are like, Oh, that, I mean, and I think it's just reality. You know? And I think we, we love to think that like the big name designer that comes to our mind is we, we bounce our check and then we think, well, I bet so-and-so doesn't. It's like, no, like you don't know. I know designers that I'm part of a Slack group. And one of the, one of the guys in there, he has 
his client roster is stupid. It's he's always got he has lots of work. But you know what? He is probably the most insecure artist I've ever had a chance to know. And so we like to think that if we reached a certain client level, that life immediately improves and that we never lack, we're never slow, we only get better, and that is so far from the truth. It, you will have really bad days after having a really good client. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't dictate, and I think the battle comes in when you hit those moments, and it's what I've had to go through the first quarter, um, and that's continue to believe in yourself because that's all you have. All you have is the people around you that love you and are praising you, and you have yourself. And if you can't give yourself the pep talk to tell the guy that tells you you have no future, you're lying, I'm going to prove you wrong. You have to develop that within yourself. A belief in yourself is huge. I totally agree. D is saying all designers should stick together and help each other out. We understand each other the best. And I totally agree. I think you have to have that, uh, a best friend or some people that you can just, you can be honest with and reach out to and say, this is how I'm feeling I think mm-hmm. I'm going to go work at Lowe's and, or, yeah. or Jason Karn was going to go back to construction. And I'm exactly. like, no, you yeah. can't dirt your hands, you uh-huh. know, and uh-huh. that, that we will rally around each other and just try to help. And I just think sometimes it's just being honest to a group and saying, Hey, I'm looking for work. Yeah. Right. I, I think that it, it kind of goes against that. Um, Oh, we're trying to look like we have it all. Oh, exactly. Right. Afraid to be vulnerable. Right. In front of people. Right. And I think, I think that, so I'm going to, what's been um, some of the best parts about working for yourself for the last 10 years and what's been some of the worst parts? Um, Best part for sure has been being able to be home. Um, When we first moved back to Orlando from Kansas city. My wife at that point was pregnant with our first son Harper. Um, and as soon as I landed, um, from Kansas city, I got a job offered to me from Disney. Um, I took it cause I thought, Oh my God, it's Disney. Oh, my career's made. It's going to be perfect. It was not, um, it just wasn't, it's not that the job wasn't a good job. It just did not fit me. Um, it was definitely a pay decrease for my freelance. Um, I spent, we ended up having my son and I spent more time working at night, um, than I did with my family. I would work from nine to five, get home, work from eight till midnight, sometimes three. Um, one project I worked all the way through, slept 30 minutes and then went to Disney. Um, cause I just, I needed to provide. Um, so the best part for me has been the ability to be home to be hands-on with my kids, to be able to alleviate some of the stress that Christina has with, with the kids and with the house. And she was running her small shop for, for a while. Um, being able to be home, be present, not, and I mean, I take a lot of breaks <laughs> while I'm working because um, there has to be cuddle fights. There has to be sprinkler time. Um, they have to eat lunch with me and breakfast with me. Um, so that's by far the best part um, that I've had uh, being full-time freelance. Worst part has just been the inconsistency, probably the creative loneliness. Mm. Um, because you do spend 
Like I'm already, I'm an introvert already, so it's not that bad. But <laughs> I, I go, I, I need to get out more. <laughs> I will say. Um, but it, I think even creatively, it's hard. Um, that's why being part of several Slack groups has been really helpful because I feel like I can interact and feel like I'm actually talking to human beings instead of a seven month old. Um, so definitely those are two of the, the hardest parts is just feeling secluded. Um, and then also just the inconsistency and in the, you can never as a freelancer, this is a huge lesson for everyone. You can never have too much work. You may think you have too much work, but you're probably not managing your time well because too much work means you probably aren't scheduling things properly. Um, I probably about two years ago, I started actually scheduling work um, and I'm not as good as I'd like to be, but I think we can all agree that we have improvements. Um, but you can never have too much work because you got to prepare for the drought times um, and uh, the, like I said, the first quarter for me is, was awful. I went like I last project I had in, um, 2018 was the mural for target. And then it was like crickets. Um, and I have, I have a, a contract, um, that I'm a retainer, uh, with a studio in California and they went from giving me 20 hours a week to like two. Um, so I didn't plan that, um, which I mean, you can't always plan things, but I think if I would have had a little more hindsight, I would have probably not turned away some clients that I did turn away and just try to be like, well, can we schedule this for January instead of December? That kind of thing. Right. All right. So Jim has a question. I want to make sure yeah. I always like to get our live questions. Yes. So Jim says, cause I actually think that, you know, how you're raising your boys hopefully is more the way your mom was right. Mm -hmm. so and Brittany has a question too. So first we'll do Jim. Jim says, yes. we always talk about how our talent is only a small part of what makes us successful. Communication, organization, um, relationships, business sense, et cetera, have a huge impact on our success. How do we prevent those low points in confidence from affecting these other key slices of our professional pie? Is it too easy to say I'm terrible and I have no talent then forget that it's okay. It's only a small part of the equation. Oh, for sure. I think... I did struggle a little bit. I mean, I'll, let me, I'll, I'll explain it like this. Not only in January, your work is slow, but my dad passed away. So you got to understand my upbringing and then my dad passing away was a really big deal. Um, now me and him, we definitely rekindled and it was not nearly what it was when I was 16, obviously. Um, but I think for sure um, it's important to realize, yes, business is slow and yeah, it does affect you financially. But business being slow didn't make me a bad husband. It didn't make me a poor father or a poor son. Um, those things don't directly affect your true impact, um, I will say, on those around you. Because, like, again, I, that's my barometer is if I'm not making other people better than me, then I'm failing. Um, so that's failing for me. So if my kids are not being better children because of me, I'm not being a great father that kind of ideal. If I'm not having, if I'm not producing resources or being an open book for other creatives, then I'm not as great as I could be. If, if I'm not making someone else reach a higher level of greatness, then I'm not. Um, Your value wasn't, 
directly uh, connected so I, to your ability to bring yeah, in thousands I didn't feel, of dollars. Right. I didn't feel, I would, I would say, I didn't feel an um, incredibly amazing um, when I landed the Target mural because it was Target as much as I feel like I'm really hitting my peak when I'm having a special moment with my kids. So I think it is important to really distinguish and don't let those things bleed over because um, they will. And I mean, again, I'm not perfect. They did bleed over in the past three months, like sure. where I have a shallow moment and I'm like, I don't want to play with my son right now because I'm upset because I don't have a lot of work coming in or because the landlord won't get off my back. Like, yeah, they will affect, but I think it's important that you recognize it and you just address it. Talk to your spouse, talk to a friend, get the help to switch the mindset back, um, to realize that those things, your, your job, your creative roadblocks, your business sense, all of that is not who you are. It's an extension of who you are, but who you are is who you are with your family and your friends. It's a situation, not of identity. Exactly. Yes. All right. So Brittany has a question specifically about scheduling. So how Mm -hmm. do you schedule things? It seems like everyone says they need to turn turn things around ASAP. No one seems willing to go into a schedule because they need it right now or this week. Um, so what I, what I do typically in a scenario, cause yeah, a lot of people are like, yeah, it needs to be turned around in a week or two weeks. And I think we can all agree that we've taken a project like that. And then six months later it's done. Right. Um, so I think a lot of people think it's urgent. So what I've done in the past is I schedule bits and pieces of the project instead of as a whole. Um, and I send them a timeline and if they have an issue with it, I work with them to figure out if it's a real issue or if it's a, they need to get it done. So I think it's important when you go to in, when you go to invoice them for your deposit that you also include in there, like here's the actual timeline. I'm going to spend two weeks. Just so I don't think a lot of clients understand how much time is spent in just ideation and the creation of that idea. Um, And so scheduling that helps people understand. And I've also realized it's actually helped people see the value when I give a certain number. Like instead of just throwing a number like, oh, this is going to cost 5,000 and having them go, whoa, that's a lot. Why is it so much? So-and-so said they can do it for X amount. When you submit that number and you also submit the amount of steps is included into that one project, nine times out of 10, they're going to understand that first of all, you're a lot better than just like someone that whips up art, but that your actual value of what you do is heightened. So yeah, I hope that helps. It does. So I also think, I think being honest with them in the beginning is really important, but also setting goals, goals for them, things that they Mm -hmm. have to deliver as well. Oh yes. Because if I always have in my contracts, like you have a 36 hour turn, to get back to me. If, if you don't meet that deadline, then I can't meet my deadline. So I also right. think that, you know, if this is really critical, Brittany, that they get this, you get this back to them. What I hate is that the day before something's due, they come with so, so many changes mm-hmm. and we've already gone through, this is the third round of revision. I only included this. So we've got to push this back. And so if not, then there's going to be an incurred cost. And it's really hard. Mm-hmm. I think um, one thing I've learned through some other groups that I'm in is that with a smaller client, you talk about the money earlier because 
they they're really concerned with how much this is going to cost so it's really important mm -hmm. so if if you were babysitting for somebody and they didn't come home or they were like hey we're gonna instead of being home at 11 where it's going to be 3 a.m then you're going to be like hey you know that's going to cost an extra hundred dollars or something as a, a mm -hmm. babysitter you're not going to be expecting the same amount that you were you know now instead of ten dollars an hour now you're getting five dollars an hour right and right. It's the same thing i think with us but we tend to I don't know why we do this. I, I have no idea. I'd love to know what you think, but why we tend to, un, why we don't want to talk about the money. Um, I think with bigger clients, they're used to it. I don't know if the mm -hmm. first time you had a bigger client that you were like, oh, let's pop that $5,000 and see if they bite, you know, because mm -hmm. sometimes we don't know where the range is. Like with somebody else, $5,000, yeah. that would be super cheap. But for you, that's super, you know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for sure. I mean, just my first project, my first freelance project with Disney, I got paid. So I, the first project I got with them was actually when they first started their social media platforms. At that point, they didn't have a Facebook, a Pinterest, an Instagram, a Twitter. Um, they weren't really active on social media. Um, so the first project I got was to help them build their Pinterest page. Um, First project I got with them was 12 deliverables, um, all typography based, which I'm not Shauna. I can't do that. Um, <laughs> but I said, yeah, because it was the mouse, right? Like, I was like, I can do that. Yeah. It was awful. I'm embarrassed by a lot of it. But on the 12 deliverables, I only made $1,000 because I didn't know my value yet. Um, and also, they didn't know the value of social media yet either. So I think it was both of us were a little ignorant. Um, but I think we get so nervous to, mm -hmm. to price because we're afraid of losing the client, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, there just has to, and I still struggle with it too. I'm not perfect with this by any means. But I think there comes a point where we have to, every once in a while, just stick, or like stick to our guns and just say like, it's going to be this amount. And if they, if they don't say yes to that amount, it's because they don't see the value in you. It's not because you're too high. I mean, I, I learned this early, but if, if the client immediately agrees to your price, it's probably too low. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, that still happens with me. Um, also, one of the other things I think is really important is that you force the client to give you a number when you ask what their budget is. Mm. The word, I hate it when I'm like, what's your budget? And they go, well, I don't really know. I'm like, what like you're an organization that has to spend a certain amount of money every year by certain quarters even and you don't know the value of what you're asking for um so i like to force them to to give a number especially on larger clients like big agencies um or like william sonoma when i've done the um the stuff with them um to just get them to say the number and if it's low you say well i was thinking this at least you're hearing where their gauge is at. Um, so you can feel a little more confident if you want to throw on a thousand or two um, because you know you're valuable. But yeah, that's definitely something I think all creatives we struggle with. I mean, I haven't had a conversation with any creative that hasn't been like, hey, how much do you charge for stuff like this? And I'm like, I charge this. How much do you charge? Um, I, think it's a, I think it's important that we all stick together and we have those kind of, kind of conversations. Um, to help us understand a bit. I do, and I think it's on. It's really good when we can have these small, tight groups of people who we can share that number with, and it be like, 
okay, you know what? I, I've been doing too much or I've been doing too little. But I also think having that conversation with your client, if, if you did have to pull out that number first, mm -hmm. which I agree with Adam, I would love it if, I don't know why I'm really terrible at that. So I need to get better at that. But, but I end up having to throw out a number and I'm trying to throw out something that I think is really the value instead of what I think they can afford. Mm -hmm. And yeah, because I also think that they will treat you differently. Like Brittany's saying, Hey, I need this tomorrow. Not Brittany, but her clients are saying, I need this mm -hmm. tomorrow. And if you said, Hey, this is, you know, $5,000 and they're like, Oh, well, $5,000 isn't going to be delivered tomorrow. You know, like mm -hmm. then they, they have, it gives you a different value. $50 logo, right. Mm -hmm. Is not um, as valued because they think, Oh, well, you can pop these out or, you know, or whatever, you know, that there is value to a price of a car or, mm -hmm. and as a freelancer, I think we do need to, sometimes there are leaner times. And I think that that was one of the things for me, when I talked to you one time, it was like, you said you were doing a retainer thing and you were like, oh, it's mm -hmm. nothing that I post. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. it's design work that is just paying bills. And mm -hmm. so to, to me, I was like, oh, wow, Adam has to do that too. And I know that sounds terrible, but I was like, oh, right. well, he's normal. He's yeah. like me. And it may, so I always think design recharge is about hope. And I think, well, if Adam can do it, if Adam can go through a rough period, or if Adam can get a Target mural or a Target card or whatever right. he's doing, William Sonoma, Disney, and then he still has times that he struggles, then maybe my lean times are also just part of my journey that it mm -hmm. doesn't, it's not 100%. a reflection of, of me, but I exactly. do need to understand my value. And I think that sometimes we need to break up with some of those clients um, that mm -hmm. are pushing us to do something yesterday. And, and mm -hmm. when we do, have you had to do that with some clients that they just couldn't get to your value stage and you're like, it's just not a good fit? Yeah. I mean, because it's a disservice to, again, I'm always thinking about other people too. It's a disservice to them. If they're coming to me and they're asking for like a huge branding package or something and I give them my range and they go, Oh, well, I was thinking, you know, $200. I look at that and I go, I can't, I can't meet you at that value. I wouldn't, I don't want to disservice you because let's be honest, if I'm, if I'm, taking that project, there's a really good chance that I'm not taking it as serious because the values aren't meeting right. together. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I mean, I've turned, I've turned down the, those kinds of projects too, because you also don't want to let those projects get in your head because then you start to devalue yourself. Right. And you start going, well, shoot, man, I'm getting all these projects now at 250, man, I should just charge 250 for everything. Um, but that's not, that's not an accurate value of who you are and your skills and your talent. Um, certain people are at different levels, of course, but I think understanding your value and, and, and being okay with not devaluing yourself to just make a quick buck is extremely important because it gets in your head, you know, it, it, it really jacks you up creatively. It jacks you up mentally for your mental health even. Uh, so yeah, it so happens Sh often. Shauna says, uh, and I do this as well. Shauna says, I always follow up with, if this is beyond your budget, allocated budget, let's talk and see if we can find oh, a yeah. middle ground. And, and I think that that's a really important thing to say because, or, or there's other ways like you can, um, you can space out the payments or you can have uh -huh. a, a 
uh, buy-in of, of shares or something, or you have part of the company. There's always something else that people could give you as value of their, mm -hmm. of their business or, their oh, yeah. company or, or something. Oh yeah. And sometimes they may have connections with other people or companies and they could get you t-shirts cheaper if you're in the t-shirt or, you know, who knows? Right. But I think sometimes you have to remind them of other things that they have that are also of value. Yeah. If you really want this, right? Yeah. What I've done too in the past is I just, if they can't meet me at like the lowest number I feel comfortable with, um, I will just try to find ways to cut back. Uh, instead of a full illustration, what if we move to a spot illustration? Or what if instead of giving you these amounts of revisions, what if it was just this amount? Or what if instead mm -hmm. of needing it in two days, what if I gave it to you in three weeks? Being able to, being mm -hmm. able to take charge of that conversation without breaking that trusted relationship with that client you, that you're trying to establish, just taking control of it and helping them find that you can make it work for a certain dollar figure. If they bow certain things, you right. know, if we lower the revisions, if we lower the scope and the size, um, that that can affect price because what I charge for a full spread illustration is not what I charge for a spot illustration. It's just, two very different things. Um, the amount of time is vastly different. Um, so yeah, I think there's always flexibility in those conversations. All right. So Jacob has a question from Slovakia, right? Jacob, I think, isn't that right? Um, anyway, tell me in the thing, but he says, what do you think about the pricing and ethical guidelines handbook? Do you use that for pricing or is that where you started for pricing? How did you start as a freelancer? You go from a bag boy to a church bulletins to a, working for a church and then saying, Hey, I think God's calling me to do something else and right. then you go and have other big boy jobs as you call them. Um, how did you start after that? Sometimes when you have those other big jobs, they kind of help you because they're there. You see what the pricing is mm -hmm. for those, but how, how did you start doing that on your own? Cause that's a big job. I don't so know. If you I have, book at all. yeah, I have that book. That was one of the first things that I got when I left that church job because I thought I'm going to use this. Um, and then I started to realize that really no client is a one size fits all thing. I can't, I can't justify because in that book, according to that book, I should be charging 16,000 for a branding package. Um, and that doesn't fit a small company. Right. Um, that doesn't fit and that doesn't even fit every big company because not every $16,000 logo is the same $16,000 logo. Like sometimes the application is just vastly different. Um, so I had the book and I used it as a barometer to feel a little comfortable with my pricing, but I, I don't think I've ever actually charged uh, something because of what that book has said. I've mostly used it to have an understanding of what, the market value is for what I do for a living. Um, but yeah, I still have the book because it's also really well designed. So it's sitting in my office. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're on question three and we've got 10 minutes left. Uh -oh. um, <laughs> we had 15, 15 questions, people. We'll have to do a part two, Adam. Um, so tell me a little bit about, I, 
I had phrased this question uh, that it's life's not all daisies and ice creams. Mm -hmm. We've learned some hard lessons. And one of those hard lessons um, was kind of about the, the Disney experience and mm -hmm. your, you have had a, so that's one thing, but you've also had a relationship with social media. And I think uh -huh. I'd like to kind of attack the social media relationship. I think the Disney thing yeah. to that to some extent, but you're, we can, it can be an addiction to, mm -hmm. to a, a downfall, right? Yeah, big time. So some of you may or may not know this. I've talked about it a little bit more recently, uh, probably in the last year. Um, but I actually um, got semi-blacklisted by Disney because of social media. Um, so maybe two years ago, um, I started doing more and more work with Disney. Um, I got to the point where I knew I shouldn't post what I was doing, but I did it anyway because I was getting attention. Mm -hmm. uh, I was getting likes, I was getting follows. And I immediately thought just because I hit some number of followers that again, that life is going to be awesome. Right. Oh my God. Adam has 30,000 followers. Like he can't possibly have downtimes. Right. Mm -hmm. I have 30,000 followers and I have downtimes quite often. Um, so I started posting more and more on social media. Um, I ended up having a sheriff at my door with paperwork um, from Disney uh, of a potential lawsuit if I didn't stop. Um, all my contracts with them, um, at least for East Coast, with two different organizations within Disney, um, I was given paperwork of being, um, being told I would no longer work with them um, for, I think it's like 10 years or something. Um, and it was all because I was so infatuated with attention via social. Um, and at that point, Disney was the largest profit for my household. Mm -hmm. Um, so losing them was basically kind of like losing my job. Um, I had to rebuild connections. I got so infatuated with the whole Disney Instagram scene that, uh, all, it's all I posted. It's all I did. Um, I would, instead of working on client work, I would work on social media posts for later that day because I knew my prime time to post was 6 p.m. Um, it was very unhealthy. It pushed away people like Target. It pushed away people like Google that were giving me work consistently. But then it, I became just a fan account on Instagram, not a not an artist. Um, so it pushed a lot of people away. I, I lost all of that. I got that paperwork. I got the cease and desist, all of that fun, hurtful stuff. Um, and it left me going, what was all this for? Hmm. Yeah, I have X amount of followers, but those people aren't paying me. Right. It's not like I get like 50 cents per like. I mean, who cares? Like at the end of the day, social media is a secondary platform to showcase your portfolio. It is not, again, it's not your value as a human. It's not your value as an artist. There are people that are so much more talented than me that have 200 followers. So it's not a value barometer. It doesn't, it doesn't make sure that people like Target see you. That's just not how it works. Um, and after losing all of that, that's when I realized how filthy the whole thing had become for me to where a dream client, a company that helped me battle depression was so disrespected by my actions. Taught me a really, really big lesson for sure. 
So I love that you're willing to share that story. I think it's, it's heartbreaking, mm -hmm. but it's also reality of what I think social media can become um, for people. And I think that, so when I was at Creative South, I walked up to two of my friends and they were talking because I just walk into conversation, I guess, because I'm short. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, oh yeah, I always try to, you know, I only want to post uh, three likes. You know, if I mm -hmm. find this artist that I like, I only try to like three things. And I'm like, why? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and there's all this kind of like mental, not good yeah. stuff, I think that goes with it. And I'm like, why? I said, D and they were like, well, you know, I don't want to be a stalker. And I'm like, really? You know, if I liked seven of your posts, you'd think I was a stalker. And mm -hmm. they're like, no. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, how would that make you feel? And I think it's, it's, you know, we have, we don't, I don't know how those algorithms work. I know that there's right. things, I mean, I just don't, it's kind of like magic you know? Mm -hmm. And I just think you need to have a presence. It's important to have a presence. It's good to mm -hmm. use the hashtags. There's things that you should be yeah. doing. Right. We all should be doing. And I think it's important. Just like you said, it's a, another place to show your portfolio. It's where a lot of people hang out. It's like if you play music and you're at a coffee shop and that coffee shop brings musicians in, then that's a good place for you to maybe find right. some fans. So you should mm -hmm. try to play at that coffee shop. But mm -hmm. we, we have to be present, but it doesn't have to take over our lives. And yeah. I've actually had to kind of step back from social media like last in the summer till mm -hmm. probably like about January. I was really like, I didn't have a lot. It wasn't like I was mm -hmm. trying to put too much time. It was just it right. took away time from other things that I thought were important. Yeah. And I think sure. that's what, what you're saying. And it wasn't like you weren't creating amazing work. You were, but I think it was really important that you saw that in mm -hmm. such a, to be honest, a fairly quick time that it, what, that you were like, oh, I'm losing maybe some con connections with some companies because it looks like I'm just a fan of Disney right. only. Right? Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it also, we have to respect our clients so much more um I've, I've heard people say like that they try to and i think it, if you can do it it's great people say like um that they write into their contracts that they have the right to share and unfortunately that just doesn't fit um for everyone um and there's work that i have done that honestly is probably some of my favorite things i've made in the last year and i can't share them until next year that's just the way it goes and you better believe I'm not going to post a teaser of it. I'm not going to show the left corner because I respect, I learned if you want mm -hmm. to build relationships, relationships are not just built on how good you are. It's about the respect that you have for each other. Um, and my disrespect and lack of respect for Disney came back to really bite me. Um, and now I treat every client with respect before I even consider anything I ask Am I allowed to share this? Am I allowed to put this in my portfolio? If I get a no, you have to wait till X date. I don't try to find some hidden social platform to share because I need someone to tell me I'm good. Um, the way I think you, you, you kind of hinted to, the, to it a little bit too is the way I look at it uh, with social media is my Instagram is not a place for me to go to be applauded. It is a secondary portfolio. I don't look, I don't get infatuated with studiograyson.com and go and refresh it every day. 
I push work there. I push work on Instagram. I push work on my, my portfolio. I push it on my social portfolio. And the likes and everything doesn't quite matter unless those likes and comments um, are first and foremost people that are respectful to me and are commenting on there. I'm not infatuated with the attention as much as I'm infatuated what, with, with, I'll say it like this, what I'm infatuated with with social media is the connections to help other people. It's not about you coming. If you come and you say that that piece is, is sick or man, the texture, blah, blah, blah. What I'm actually saying is I'm not, I'm not saying you applauding me. I'm saying that the work inspired you. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going into social media with a self gratification as much as I'm trying to get you inspired as I'm trying to motivate you to learn a new craft. Maybe you don't know how to texture yet and you're constantly looking at how I do the texture and trying to figure it out. Those are the people, those are the emotions that I want to create with everything I ever post on my studiograson.com or my Instagram is I want to have those pieces inspire somebody, not just make me feel like I'm some super giant artist. It's not self-involved. It's really about how you can help the greater part of the world. Because you have always felt like your art was your ministry. Do you yeah, want to end absolutely. on that? Kind of yeah, for, yeah, for sure. That is, that has been, that was the biggest moment in what got me to leave doing design full-time for the church was that I realized that, um, I mean, some people don't even know this. I was actually like a youth pastor for two years and I taught at a Bible school before even doing design. Um, but art for me is an extension of my ministry. My ministry is equipping and making other people better, better artists, better fathers, better mothers, uh, better friends, uh, more talented. I mean, I mentor people and I'm constantly sharing everything with them. I'm working on tutorials, Dave. Again, <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm trying to get out of my comfort zone and share more, be on more podcasts, do more things because I want everybody that hears my voice or sees my work to be impacted, to be better at everything. Um, I've never been one to shy away and not share how I do things. I don't think, because nobody's me. I can give you the brushes that I use with Retro Supply. I can give you all the color palettes that I have hidden and stored on my computer I can show you in a two hour long tutorial on how to do it. But at the end of the day, you're not who I am. So I'm not afraid to share those things with you. I'm not intimidated to have to teach somebody and see them produce something knowing that they use the method that I use. It doesn't intimidate me. It doesn't make me self-conscious. It motivates me to do that for more people. I want more people. I want more people to have that target gift card experience that I had. I want more people to be asked to do uh, product labels for Williams-Sonoma. I want that for everybody. And if I can be part of that, I, I view that as building a legacy. I, if somebody that I teach a little snippet of something to goes on to make something groundbreaking and life-changing for people or just like really awesome, talented artists, if I'm even a sliver of their story, that is success. Um, and I think if we can start as everybody, if we can start viewing things a little differently, being a little more comfortable with not being so selfish um, and, and self-centered, but really start looking at how am I making other people better? I think that's when we'll reach our true potential of greatness. 
you know what I, that visual when I, I when I hear you say that uh, I don't know but you've probably seen cheerleaders you know and they make these pyramids and they stand on each other right yeah so I think a lot of times as designers we want to be the one at the top we mm -hmm. want to be the one but really what you're saying is maybe the more important role is knowing oh, sure. that you are a base and mm -hmm. you are where somebody else can stand on you and mm -hmm. be and i think everybody we want everybody to have a time at the top and i mm -hmm. think that there's there is enough place for everybody to get to be that top cheerleader right but mm -hmm. i actually really i also really like being that foundation and i'm okay mm -hmm. i'd rather not be super i mean i still need to make money but i'm not right. um I, I i don't have to be the focus because it really is there's a ton of joy just like you're saying you it may have been a lean first quarter but you still were getting what you needed from your your family and playing right. uh snuggle i can't remember what you call cuddle wrestling party or, yeah 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 tickle fights <laughs> yeah but yeah. i think i think that that's such a, a grounding thing like hey i want to help you get up there because it was great when i was up there but it's even better right mm -hmm. here watching yeah. you succeed right and i think that but i think we are stronger together it's it's a it's a mass of how we can come together and really we're doing something to make a company stronger and mm -hmm. I just think that there's there's something I think we should love on tons of people in social media. Yeah. Don't hold back. If you mm -hmm. like seven things, then like all seven things. You yeah. Nobody will think of you as a stalker. Just really go crazy on being yeah. that full sense of love. And because sometimes somebody might okay. need it. Exactly. Right? It. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Adam, I can't thank you enough. I love talking to you. You always... I just appreciate, and everybody's been saying this over here, Adam, thank you so much for being so honest. Um, for Eric Reagan said, um, Regan, I'm sorry, Eric, I totally messed up your last name, but I think I got it right the last time. Um, but just, and Doc said, golden nugget of the day, if you're fresh out of college or a veteran, understand what Adam's saying about respect. But it's also about connection. You've made great connections online as, as an introvert, as a designer, as an illustrator. Sometimes we work alone a lot, so it's really important in that community, but it is important that you are, you're, First and you know priority is making sure that your clients are understood and respected, just like you mm -hmm. would your friend or your wife or anybody else, right? Right, exactly. So I I just can't thank you enough. And there's um, Doc says tell people they are good and matter. They can't read your mind. It may come at a time when they need it. Mm -hmm. And I totally totally agree. So. Yep. Um, guys, I was going to look up to see, I, can, now I, I think Kyle Courtright is on next week. Um, I'm super excited to have him on. He also has a really great heart and I'm excited to have him tell you about some of the things he's been doing. And I do think it ends up kind of being a, a thing about community and Adam, I'm, um, I'm so sorry about your dad and, and Thank you. just all the things that you've, you've had to go through but your story is so impactful because of those things. And I've teared up so many times today and I'm just, I'm so thankful that you're my friend and I just yeah. can't want enough good things for you and your family. You. And I just, um, you're just going to, 
be staying in my prayers for sure. But I really just thank you so much for being honest because I really do think it's like that freelance life, life mm-hmm. exposed. So mm-hmm. guys, Absolutely. we'll see. We will see you next week. And let me make sure you guys know how to follow Adam because he is still on social media, people. <laughs> so <laughs> at, you can always find him at Studio Grayson, G-R-A-S-O-N.com. You can find him at Adam Grayson, still G-R-A-S-O-N, just in case anybody wants to spell gray a different way. Um, and Dribble, dribble.com slash Adam Grayson at behance.net uh, slash Z-A-D-O-K 44. And how do you say that? Zadok. Zadok. Okay. And then LinkedIn, Adam Grayson. I have a link I'm going to share. And then also on Twitter, it just says Adam Grayson. Man, you've really lucked out on that Twitter account. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's not many Adam Graysons in this world, no, man. I guess so. (laughs) I would think that that would have been a hard one, actually. But I've had it for so long. I mean, I got social media as soon as I could, not knowing what it would really be. I mean, if you dig, I haven't deleted it. If you go on my Instagram, you dig really far back. You'll see some really chubby Adam. Um, if anybody's interested to see that that time of my life where I was, and using the remember the Instagram filter that had like the border, whatever oh, yeah. it was like, yeah, uh, everything has that. Everything has that. <laughs> we'll know when we get that far back. Will yeah. you think we're stalking you if we go? Oh, that far for back? sure. I'll be like, oh my god, they liked my first post. I used to post like random stuff, like just like a tree. I don't know why I posted it and I wouldn't even leave a caption to explain why I took a picture of a tree. It was just like tree border post. Yeah. <laughs> Big deep, guys. Big deep. <laughs> All right. We will. And um, guys, you can always follow me on at design recharge. Thank you so much. Hit like, if you liked it, give a comment underneath or um, if you're would love to have you review um, I, on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. And just know that again, this is, you can, it's sponsored. It's sponsored. I didn't even say the S it's sponsored by, um, audible, audibletrial.com slash design recharge. And that'll give you a free audiobook and a 30 day free trial. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, I just wanted to tell you about a couple of ways you can support the channel, the show, and the podcast. One, you can get extra content delivered to you to patrons only by going to patreon.com slash Diane Gibbs. And then my favorite way to build websites has changed a little bit recently. Um, I am now using the Elementor plugin with the Divi theme. The Elementor plugin works with almost any theme. It makes almost any theme invincible. This plugin has changed the way that I've been able to design websites. It was allowing me to work at such a faster speed where other plugins fell short. Now I don't need that. I just need Elementor. You go to bit.ly, bit.ly slash dr Elementor. My favorite theme, of course, which I've told you about before, is the Divi theme. It gives you complete control. I purchased the lifetime plan, which was $250. I believe that's the same price it is now. And you can, for the lifetime, you never have to pay a renewal fee every year, which it's about, I think, $80. It is based off of a grid system. And now I need one theme and I can do custom sites. And it allows me to use strategy and customize for their needs instead of trying to adjust a theme that already exists. And the last thing that I love that I use every day is Audible. Audible has changed my business and has changed my life. I listen to more books than I physically read nowadays. 
I listen when I work out, when I mow, when I have a long commute. These are all affiliate links. That means if you click on the link and purchase an item, I will receive an affiliate commission. So that's it. Those are ways to support the show. Thanks.